Yo tengo casi 33 años de ser, de ser forense. Nunca había visto una, una escena así. En Spring 2021, reporter Brian Avalar launched an investigation that began in the depths of a grave dug by a serial killer and ended with the government forcing him and other journalists to flee El Salvador. Sonoro and Revista Factum present Humo. Murder and Silence in El Salvador, the story behind a country where the truth and its citizens' rights are buried under the weight of power. Señor Ministro, ¿dónde está Karen y Eduardo Guerrero? ¿Dónde están mis hijos? Listen to Humo, Murder and Silence in El Salvador, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into The Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in The Daily Book Club. My name is Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. This podcast will be about my story and my words, talking about my own personal experiences in self-healing. I do not claim to be a therapist, counselor, or a licensed psychologist. Hello, my name is Amanda Bedard, and I'm the co-host, producer, and editor of Invisible Tears. I'm a Reiki master, certified professional life coach, spiritual coach, wellness coach, and a counseling practitioner. Some of the content you will hear in this podcast may be disturbing to some. Viewer discretion is advised. But it is our hope by putting this information out there that we may help others to heal. We will always be a platform for truth and healing. This is Invisible Tears. Welcome to Invisible Tears. I'm Jane, co-host of Invisible Tears, and I'm here with Amanda today, my co-host. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Jane. How's it going today? It's going. It's beautiful out. It is. It's an absolutely gorgeous day out. Absolutely. This is our last episode of season two. Yes. It's gone quick. Yes. Yeah, it's been a tough season, especially with me being sick and... We've had a little few little technical difficulties, but yep. we're figuring it out. We're figuring it out and we're trying to be resilient through it. And to quote Julie Murray from our last episode, we just keep fighting. Absolutely. Talking about keep fighting. We ended last season with me talking to a state trooper that was actually investigating my case. Yes. And he assured me that it was an active case and we were going to meet for coffee. They were compiling all of my case information together so that they could send it to me because I put in a request for it. Yep. That was, I talked to him in November. Yep. Still haven't heard from him. <laughs> 
Yes. We still haven't sat down to have our coffee. I'm just so sorry, Jane. I was right there with you. You got this amazing information. And Drew actually even still talks about it to this day. You called me after you had a conversation with him and he wishes that he was recording us because it was it was so raw and it was so extremely emotional. And we were both very yeah, emotional. Buddy. And it was really just because you were finally speaking to somebody who would speak to you and who also not only let you know that your evidence isn't lost, but they cared and they cared to speak to you and your case was active. I mean, it was such an amazing thing to hear. And so as we wrap up season two with sort of the updates about you and your case, it's a little bit disheartening, right? It is. Because also this week, we got an email from Detective Christopher Alfick, New Hampshire State Police Major Crime Cold Case Unit. Yeah. And, um, it reads as follows. Ms. Borowski, I'm writing to update you on your SRA 91-A request dated September 26, 2022. Now, this is a request I put in to have access to the information in my case file. Right. Under the right to know. Seven months ago, I put that in. Yep. And it says the available records responsive to your request are attached. Information has been withheld that constitutes information compiled for law enforcement purposes whose disclosure could reasonably be expected to interfere with law enforcement proceedings. 38 Eddicott Street North versus State Fire Marshal, which I have no idea what that means. All that line is actually doing is it's actually indicating it's referencing back a Supreme Court ruling about right to know information. That's all that is. I, I was curious about that too. Okay. So I actually Googled it. And all it is, is it's referencing a case uh, back from 2012, essentially about right to know cases, like what information you can get and what information you can't. And then it goes on to say, due to the circumstances of the request, there are no copying fees. Okay, so you're not going to charge me for this. And then it says, this request is considered to be closed. Respectfully. Respectfully. Detective Christopher Alfick. New Hampshire State Police, Major Crime, Cold Case Unit. That is word for word exactly what the email was sent to me. When I opened it up, I was disgusted. The attachments were the actual posters that they had for suspect wanted. And it had the composite and a picture of the Jeep Wagoneer yep. and a little bit of info about why this suspect is wanted and they needed to identify this suspect. And that was all the attachment was. A couple of pictures of him, the composite. And it was really weird. I have to be honest with you, Jane, as I sit here and I look at the attachments too. And for anybody that's listening to the podcast, make sure and go check out the YouTube because we will actually throw up the pictures of the attachments that they sent us as well. But it was, like you said, Jane, a copy of the wanted posters. It's multiple same copies of the wanted posters. The only difference is one of them doesn't have a car. And then it's a copy of a freaking newspaper article. Yeah. And all of this information was from 1988. Right. All these posters, the article, all that was from 1988. So why do I need to see an article about what happened to me in 1988, which that's not even what I was asking for. That's not what I was requesting. Right. <laughs> I was so disgusted when I opened this email. I 
opened it, what, three, four days ago. And I looked at it, closed it. I haven't even looked at it since until today. It's like another slap in my face. It's like, this is all we can give you. And that's it. Move on. There was no, if you have any questions, please call me. You have any concerns, please call me. No, the last line is what pissed me off the most. This request is considered to be closed. What does that freaking mean? Does that mean I can't put in for another request? Does that mean I'm never going to see any of my case files? Are you never going to contact me? What does that freaking mean? I was just like, okay, here we go again. Nothing's changed. Back in November, I had a little bit of hope that things were going to be different. And right back to square one again. I am definitely going to be putting in for another request. And I'm going to keep putting in for a request and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it because I'm not going to let them think that this is just going to make me be hush hush and, and leave them alone. What this did was make me more aggressive. I'm going to be more aggressive with trying to get my information. I'm going to be more aggressive with contacting them because it's not right. This is not right. Right. I mean, it lit a fire is what it really did. It lit a fire. The attachments were so, so insulting. Why would you need to see three of the same copies of the freaking wanted poster that was distributed August 9th, 1988, because there's a date at the bottom of it and a freaking article about yourself, most likely from the Keen Sentinel. You've seen this. You know this. Exactly. This wasn't the purpose of the request. If they're not going to do anything with your case, why don't they give the freaking information to somebody who's going to? Yeah, I deal with this all the time. And it's like, and so many other families do too. I am not the only one. It's as if they feel they have a right to be like this. They don't have to give me info. They don't have to talk to me. They make me feel like they always make me feel. You survived. You're okay. Move on. Yeah. Like get over it. Yeah. You know, after I read this and I got thinking and stuff, I was never told that my case was active until after I put this request in. It's a true statement. When I put this request in, had my case not been actively investigated, then they would have to send me my case file. Correct. And as soon as I put in the request, all of a sudden my case is active again. It's like, why? After all these years, all of a sudden my case is active. So I got to kind of wonder two things. Is my case active or they just decided to make my case active so they didn't have to give me the information. I don't blame you for going there. I just, I don't trust them. I don't trust what they tell me. They just are always trying to say something like they're trying to suffice me. We'll tell her this information and, you know, this will satisfy her for a little while. I'm so sick of that. So sick of that. I'm going to put in another request and I'm going to put another request in. They're going to keep hearing from me. They're going to know my name up there. I think they already do. But they didn't at first when I put the request in. True. They never heard of my case. They had to look it up. For the life of me, Jane, I just don't understand why the relationship isn't different. And this has absolutely zero to do with you. I'm talking about the relationship in terms of the police departments with you. I've said this a couple of different times that it's quite obvious that you are, you know, most likely connected to a serial killer who has multiple other victims that did not survive. One of the most important pieces of evidence to solving crimes and especially to like catching a serial killer 
is an eyewitness is you. So it's always baffled me so much that it's such a such an adversarial. There's so much friction there and it doesn't have anything to do with you. I'm saying coming from their camps and I don't understand why because you would think that they would want you involved with and or be very communicative with you with anything that they receive, you would think, but that's not the case. And I really don't understand why. You know, there's been so many new detectives that come in and out of the cold case unit, you know, every few years or whatever. I mean, this is a 30 year case. So, you know, there's been a lot of eyes on this case. I would assume, I know if I was a detective going into a cold case unit and I have a living victim of a serial killer or a possible serial killer, the first thing that I would do is contact her with new questions. You know, what are we missing here? There's got to be some more information. There's got to be some new information. What are we missing? I would contact that victim. You've got to have new questions. Mm -hmm. New eyes should be new questions over the years and never get contacted. Never am I contacted. You know, they don't contact me. But what I find funny is every few years they come into Linda Moore's case and they start going after Steve again, her husband, that has been totally exonerated. He has passed three polygraph tests, has a rock solid alibi, but every time they go into her case, they go right for her husband, Steve. So they take the energy to do that, but they won't take their energy to contact me. Yeah, okay, I was assaulted and I survived, but you know what? It doesn't take away the fact that he literally tried to kill me. And your daughter. And my daughter. Yep. This was not just an assault. This was attempted murder. Absolutely. I just don't get it. You know, you would think they would be doing something different than what they're doing, which in my opinion is nothing. I would hope over the years with so many eyes, different eyes on these cases that they could be able to have a little bit more information than what they have. And even any of the families, the families of the other victims, they've never been notified by the police over the years. They haven't asked them questions or the little phone call of saying, hi, I'm detective so-and-so of the cold case unit. I'm new. I just looked at your case file just want to let you know that I am looking at your case or I am looking at your loved one's case. Do you have anything that you want to add? Is there anything I could look into that you can think of? Contact us. Let us know that somebody has eyes on these cases. You know, how hard is that? Give the families some assurance that their loved ones had not been forgotten. Right. Is that hard? No. No. I'm not going to let their loved ones be forgotten. I absolutely will not let that happen. This I know. I'm just a bit frustrated today about the whole situation. Totally allowed to be. Yeah. The entire situation is just, it's insulting. Yeah. You know, here I thought in November, I get this uh, wonderful detective, my hero, my new hero, looking into my case. And he was assuring me that he's got new information or whatever, and definitely wanted to talk to me and definitely wanted to sit down and have coffee and no contact. Haven't heard from him since. And no, I haven't changed my phone number. And yes, I live at the same address. So, you know, what's the excuses? You know, I understand they're busy. Absolutely. But 
if you're going to say you're going to do something, do it. So again, I'm losing faith in the authorities. So because of that, we are planning to do a march up to the state capitol. Mm -hmm. And I hope that we get a large following to go with us because we're going to walk up there and we're going to, we're going to demand answers. And I'm talking, we, I'm talking Trish Haynes family, Maura Mori's family, and hopefully we're going to be contacting a few more and we are going to walk up there and we're going to say, Hey, here we are. Where's our answers. And so if anyone's listening and they know of any other advocates for any other cases, reach out and let us know because we're actually in the middle of trying to put the logistics together and actually organize that now. We would like that to be this summer. Yeah, absolutely. This summer. We want them to know that my case and all these loved ones cases, we haven't forgotten them and neither will they. I mean, we did get notification that Jeff Strausen is leaving the AG office. We did. So I also was notified that um, Trish Haynes' family and Maura Mora's family have yet another new advocate, victim's advocate. It's like, how many victim's advocates is that office going through? Based off of what I've heard with that victim advocate program and based off of what you've experienced, Jane, the premise of the program, I, I actually don't even think that it should be termed victim advocates. They're yeah. really just an extension of the AG office and don't really advocate for any of the victims. And you don't have one. Yeah, I don't have one. I've never been offered one. Yeah, it's like I've talked to one of the advocates up there. I asked a few questions and she couldn't give me answers because she had to go back to the AG office and find out what answers she could give me. It was like, who are you working for? Are you a victim advocate or are you a secretary for the AG office? Exactly. Victim advocates are supposed to help and support and be there for the victims or the victims' families and help them and guide them through a process, the legal process of everything. These advocates up there in Concord, to me, of what I've experienced, that is not what they're doing. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. And now back to our episode. For some reason, New Hampshire has a very difficult time solving murders or solving a lot of cases in New Hampshire. Their cold case unit, if you go on their cold case unit website, there are hundreds of names on there. And being a victim in New Hampshire, that's hard to look at. That's hard to read. It's hard to comprehend. You know, you want to have faith in the system. You want to have faith that the authorities are doing what they can to solve these cases. But as a victim in New Hampshire right now, I feel like I'm losing faith in them. And not only just for myself, for other cold cases, right? even recent cases. I'm not going to get too much into it, but New Hampshire has a serious problem right now with um, murders or unsolved cases recent. Right. And it's funny because I'll see that they found a body, like mostly around the Merrimack River has been most of them. You'll read in the paper, a body was found yesterday, but it's deemed not suspicious. That's like the common phrase. One day of investigating and you've already discovered that it's not suspicious. The body hasn't even gone through an autopsy yet. It's like, how? And then a week later, there's another body. And then a week later, there's another body. This has been going on for three years. Yeah. It's almost like every week or every other week, there's a body found down by the river. 
you know, people are saying, well, there's a lot of homeless encampments down there. So there's homeless in Keene. There's homeless in Brattleboro. There's homeless everywhere. There's not a body count. (laughs) There's not bodies being, you know, found everywhere. To me, that's very suspicious. I know there's quite a few uh, people are, are really looking into this and doing a lot of research, trying to find out, you know, what is going on with all these bodies found in or around the Merrimack River. When you're a victim and you read something like that, it's like, how am I supposed to have faith in them that they're doing the right thing by me? But Jeff Strausen is no longer the AG. Yep. He's moved to a different position. So who knows? Maybe we'll see different results. We can definitely be hopeful of that. As you've eloquently outlined, Jane, it's pretty clear that New Hampshire not only has a current problem, but has a past problem too. And you are right. There's a lot that's unsolved in this state and we are not that big. This is not a big state. So it's quite clear that something needs to change and hopefully banding together with other strong and like-minded true advocates, we can start getting some answers and start getting some results and start being heard. Exactly. But why should we have to yell and holler? And Oh, we shouldn't. We shouldn't have to be in their face all the time. I should not have to resubmit another request for my records. And I have to be a thousand percent honest with you, Jane. You don't want a bad or adversarial relationship with any of the police that are investigating. Absolutely not. Nobody wants that. What does that accomplish? Exactly. It doesn't accomplish anything if everybody were to be clear and open and partner. It makes such a difference and it could potentially help move things forward. Nobody wants an adversarial relationship, but the continued actions are causing that. Exactly. So we wish we had a better update for you guys. I want to reach out to people. Maybe people will sit and start writing letters to the major crime unit in Concord. Ask, find out why are there so many unsolved cases in New Hampshire? Because you know what? As sad as this could be, it could be one of your loved ones. More people need to be vocal about it. I know there's been a lot of conversation. They try to be hush-hush about things because of New Hampshire being such a tourist state. Okay, I don't get it, but I hear it. Which honestly, in and of itself, is just absolutely asinine. Coming from being a business person and from the business perspective, sure, I get it, but completely don't even factor in the safety of the tourists, just push everything underneath the rug. So, oh, you can't affect tourism. You can't affect that bottom line. It's like, what? It's crazy. That's like, we did a road trip up to White River and we went back to the rest area where Barbara Agnew went missing. And years ago, there was a plaque that was put at that rest area, and it was in dedication to victims of violent crimes in New Hampshire. So we went back up to try and find that plaque, and we couldn't find it. So that rest area is closed. There's no building or anything there. It's closed. So we decided to go across the street to the other welcome center that's across on the southbound lane. So we went over there to try to find the, maybe they moved it over there. We went into the building, the welcome center building to use the restrooms and I came out and there was this older gentleman sitting at the counter. I asked him about the plat and he knew nothing about it, but he gave me a card to contact a lady It seems that it had been there for a couple of years, but 
they took it away. They took it out. It's like, why? Why? Because they don't want tourists <laughs> coming from Canada to see that there's a, you know, a plaque there dedicated to victims of violent crimes in New Hampshire, really. I mean, why would you, after two years, remove that from the rest area? So, you know, right there tells me that it's all about the tourism in New Hampshire. You know, we can't scare people. We want them to come and make them think that they're safe in our state. But hey, let's not put their guard up a little bit, you know, and say, you know, protect yourself. In and of itself, that plaque was originally put at literally the place where Barbara Agney was initially attacked and where her car was found. So exactly. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating. Well, that's our update. I wish we had better update, but I wish we did too. If you know me, I'm not just uh, walking away and settling with this stinking little uh, email. Yeah, that's just not going to suffice me. And uh, they think they may have heard the last of me, but no, that's not not the case at all. Oh, it's just starting, especially after this. Oh, yes. We're going to take a few weeks off in between seasons and we'll be back at it by the beginning of June. But yeah, we're going to take a few weeks off and uh, play some catch up. Just a quick update for people because we've mentioned the Dark Valley podcast a couple of times. The launch of Dark Valley has actually um, pushed out just a little bit. Um, so now we're getting the time frame of around like midsummer. So be looking forward to that. Yes. And um, we'd love to do another episode with questions and answers. So yeah, if you have questions... Send them to us. Absolutely. Send them to us. Our link tree is in the description. Our email is invisible.tears1966 at gmail.com. Just please make sure you put Q&A in the subject line. We get a lot of emails in there. We want to make sure that we don't lose them. And you can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. But all that's in our link tree too. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy. And we will see you soon. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Invisible Tears. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to hear all future episodes. Click into our link tree too in the episode description to find and follow us on all our social medias. And it also links to our website, invisible-tears.com, where you can keep current on any events that may be coming up, read more about Jane and the team, and read more about all the Connecticut River Valley unsolved cases. As we stated in this episode, we want to hear your questions that you have for any of us so we can answer them in Q&A episodes going forward. So if you have any questions for us, send us an email to invisible.tears1966 at gmail.com. Make sure you put Q&A in the subject line and we'll do our best to answer all questions that come in to us. If you are looking for everyday items, clothes, collectibles, or a gift for that special someone, you can support us further by checking out our retail store, The Frugal Marketplace. We can be found at thefrugalmarketplace.com or search for us on eBay and Poshmark. We hold an online claim sale on Facebook Live every Monday night at 7 p.m. where you can find our latest items for sales or items at a deep discount. The links for our products can be found in our show notes. If you want to learn more about my wellness practice, Guided Path Wellness, head to guidedpathwellness.org. There you can read more about me and my certifications more about the Reiki and coaching services I offer both in-person and remote, and read all about my products for sale that I make through the practice. Feel free to utilize the contact us section on the website with any questions or utilize that free 15-minute consultation booking button if you have any questions about what might work for you. Evil may exist in this world, but we will not let it win. See you next episode.